Hello, it's 17th of June 2017 and this is episode 33 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Um, It's been good. Mm-hmm. I have been living in my new Ray cape <laughs> from... <laughs> Um, El Hoffer design. I'm really happy with it. It's such a beautiful design, and it's really cool to have something from Ray's costume, even though it's not official, obviously. Um, mm. But it's based on the photos that we got from Ryan Johnson of Ray in her cape, and I think it was before. It must have been before Vanity Fair even came out with the the more detailed pictures of everything. But um, yeah, so I've been living in that, feeling really nerdy. Um, aside from that, I bought my first Star Wars comic. I bought the, the new Vader comic, which was really cool. Um, it felt a bit on the short side, but obviously I don't have a great frame of reference. I don't know if other people would agree. Um, mm. But it gives you like a really cool... It's set just after Revenge of the Sith ends. So that's really intriguing to kind of see what happened after that. Um, yeah. And it's just a really cool look at um, Vader and Palpatine's relationship, um, how Vader deals with the fact that Padme's gone and he's partly responsible or fully responsible mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a hot issue in Fathom. Um yeah, and it goes into more of like the lightsaber. Oh, sorry, I know I'm dropping spoilers here, but um it goes more <laughs> into worry. kind of the um lightsaber lore around why the Sith or Darksiders have red lightsabers, which is it was already explored in the new Ahsoka novel, but not everyone's read that obviously, so this will reach more fans. Um but yeah, it's intriguing stuff. Very good. I went into Forbidden Planet in Dublin to look for the variant cover for you, and they looked at me like I had free eyes. And <laughs> they said, "We ran out of those ages ago." Yeah, in their Irish accent. Obviously, <laughs> I didn't realise. I saw on Twitter someone said that they'd only issued like fifty versions of that, fifty uh, issues of that. Like, oh my god! Yeah, that's I don't know how true that is, but if if that is true, I have no hope of finding one. I ended up <laughs> the other variant cover of. Um, Aiden Christensen's Vader um, mm. with the like the toy next to him which is still cool and then it was like five dollars as opposed to what some people have been saying that they found the uh the Padme version for like sixty dollars wow is, yeah too much for me to spend on a comic I can't really justify that um, yeah that's obscene <laughs> yeah but it's making me you know I, I'm thinking about getting into more of the comics I'm hearing lots of great things about the Afro comics she seems like a great mm. character um, screaming Citadel, people have been talking about a lot recently. So yeah, yeah, maybe I've seen interesting things going on with the Poe comic as well. So I know they've made Leia more prominent in that, and yeah. they've also been touching more on like what's going on with the First Order and stuff, which seems quite enticing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I consume a lot of Star Wars stuff already and spend a lot. Of <laughs> so do I want to fall down this rabbit hole? <laughs> maybe once. Yeah. Up. And how about you? Because I know you've had a very exciting Star Wars week. Yes, <laughs> I've had a very busy and exciting Star Wars week indeed. Um, so the reason there wasn't a podcast last week was because I was in Ireland and specifically I went to County Kerry um, to try and get to Skellig Michael. <laughs> I was unsuccessful, which to be honest was a major bummer. I was yeah. so disappointed. I think I shed a tear. Um, oh, but it's such a shame to go all that way and then not work out. Oh yeah, thanks. Like it was a shame, but like it was, I didn't feel like it was a wasted trip in the end because County Kerry is such an incredibly beautiful landscape. I posted some pictures from it on my Tumblr, 
And basically what happened is that my friend and I, we went to the Kerry Cliffs instead. Mm. And that is really the next best thing to go into Skellig Michael because it's just so, so gorgeous. And it's such like dramatic scenery with um, the waves crashing against the rocks. Um, you really can't be it. It's one of the most spectacular places I've ever been to. We did also go to the Skelly Experience, <laughs> um, but that was really something or nothing. Bless it. Like it, it was fine and it was all very well intentioned, but it almost reminded me of like an attraction from Father Ted, <laughs> like where there was like it was almost like a shack with just like a few exhibits in it and not really that much information. That's cute. Like. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm being unkind, really. It was definitely more modern than, like, a Father Ted-style shack attraction. <laughs> but it was just very remote, and there wasn't a great deal to it. Um, so, yeah, if you basically, if you're in the area, and you can't get to Skellig Michael, or it's too expensive, and you think, hmm, should I go to the Skellig Experience or Kerry Cliffs? Go to Kerry Cliffs. It's cheaper. It's, like, €4, Euro, and the Skellig Experience is €5, Euro, and you'll just get more out of it, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, your photos were absolutely gorgeous. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, like I said, I don't want to give up. I definitely want to try and get the Skellig Michael again. Um, because actually the people at my hotel, there was uh, another couple there and they were actually going to try and make the crossing, but they had the much brighter idea of staying for three successive nights. So I guess the plan was that if they couldn't go one day, then they'd get on the boat the next day, mm. which to be honest is probably what you need to do. <laughs> it's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Like, very much so yes it's so so weather dependent like when i was there i completely understood why it was cancelled because the weather the day before was so incredibly vicious yeah like the wind was like physically moving us about and the rain was just pitiless um it was quite something it's not like um british weather basically it was much much more extreme than that i guess so, you got yeah. the full the last jedi experience <laughs> yeah it's gonna be all rainy on act two and atmospheric exactly i feel like i got the weather conditions that they try to manufacture for the last jedi yeah apparently... they get them naturally i was gonna say <laughs> apparently when they were filming it the weather was too nice it was like it sunny was. and warm in ireland <laughs> it was they had to literally bring in rain machines <laughs> which is amazing yeah i bet everyone there was like this is massively ironic mm-hmm. <laughs> oh goodness so yeah. Oh, and the worst thing was that um, apparently the day we arrived in Port McGee, which is where you catch the boat to Skellig Michael, on that day the ship, the boat had gone out to Skellig Michael, but um, obviously we arrived late in the day after the boat had already gone, so it was the day after that we needed to go, and that was when it was cancelled. Oh, so, it's such a shame. So close, yet so far. I did actually record some sound from Port McGee. <laughs> because basically i got loads of questions from people asking oh could you record the sound on skellig michael which i found a bit curious i wasn't sure why people were so interested but i decided to humor people and i got a sound of a very windy morning (laughs) so i might include that yeah it would be like the sounds of octu you know yes exactly (laughs) sounds back to you with um a few cars (laughs) not quite so spacey I can try my best. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was a really great trip overall. And Ireland was just so stunningly beautiful. Like, it was just magical. And I can't wait to go back. It's just a great place. And I know it's a horrible cliche of Ireland and Irish people are probably sick of hearing it, but people were so friendly. <laughs> oh, I don't think people nice. would be sick of hearing that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it's definitely thing. a nice stereotype. Oh, and we actually ran into um some, like, 
um, bus drivers like who did tour groups and they were super friendly and one of the guys an older gentleman he said he was from Donegal and he said um uh, you should totally go there uh, or maybe Dingle I can't remember um, which part exactly but he said oh that's where you really need to go because that's where they filmed all of the latest ones <laughs> oh yeah I think I think <laughs> the Dingle last Jedi. was where they filmed The Last Jedi right yes yeah. I think so I get my D's mixed up <laughs> Oh, and one last thing, but I was trying to probe the um, hotel owner for um, information about the filming <laughs> of The Force Awakens <laughs> and The Last Jedi. He did actually say something quite interesting. He said that they were there to film the scenes for The Last Jedi, which they filmed in the autumn of 2015. Apparently, they stayed for a much longer period of time then than they had in 2014 when they filmed for Force Awakens. Oh, really? Yeah, which I found interesting because I'd previously heard that... Um, it was only a very brief stay. But then I wasn't sure how much to trust him because um, he also said that Calista Flockhart, who's Harrison Ford's wife, was spotted at the local pub. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that just seems super, super random. So, yeah, I don't know what to believe. Are you sure he didn't mean Mark Hamill's wife? <laughs> no, no, he was definitely convinced it was Calista Flockhart. Oh, okay. That's yeah. odd. Yeah, very odd, right? Yeah. <laughs> If she heard stories and thought it was just that beautiful and she had to go and see it for herself. Yeah, because some think it's people more like said that they... <laughs> didn't some people say that they'd seen Carrie Fisher around in Ireland as well? Yeah, I think that was the word at the time, actually. I think that was um, about Dingle. Yeah, but it was never really substantiated. I think it was like one newspaper reported on it because they had an eyewitness say that they'd seen her. But nothing's come out since to suggest that she was filming there, so... yeah. People just got excited, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's people spot, spotting stars at every opportunity. <laughs> um, right, then the next thing to do is just the normal protocol of saying, if you haven't done so already, please do rate and review us on iTunes mm-hmm. because it really helps us out and it gets the word spread about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thank you very much if you have already reviewed us. That's really awesome. And if you have any questions for the podcast, please do email them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. Then the last thing I'd like to say is that there is a fundraiser going on at the moment, which is for a documentary. Oh, looking for Leia. Looking for Leia. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, yeah, is basically about women in Star Wars fandom and like the experience of female fans and how they got into Star Wars, like um, across all the different time periods in the life of the franchise. And yeah, it just seems like a really, really cool project that I think would be great for people to support because it offers a different perspective on things. So yeah, if you want to um, help them out, I recommend going over to Kickstarter and looking up Looking for Leia. And seeing if you can contribute a bob or two, because that will definitely help them out. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the last thing we want to talk about um, before we get onto the proper news news is almost like a tale of two cities, I guess. <laughs> um, because we're going to talk briefly about Wonder Woman, which is Patty Jenkins' wonderful new film. And then we're also going to have a little chat about The Book of Henry, which is Colin Trevorrow's new film. And full disclosure, neither of us have seen it. But apparently it's not so wonderful. Um, so yeah, Kirsty, would you like to talk a little bit about Wonder Woman and what it was like watching that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to articulate how it felt to watch this film. And I'm sure like lots of women and girls have felt the same way. Um, mm. Because 
it had never really registered. And even though I'm someone who considers myself quite aware of how sexist, um, you know, Hollywood is and modern storytelling and everything, um, mm. it wasn't until I was watching this film that I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to have the female gaze in such a mainstream movie. Mm. Um, and it's just there. And it's because we have this female director. Like it's stuff that is so subconscious. Um, just the way the story is told and conveyed and visualized. It just, it means the world. Um, and I really hope it's not something that's just going to kind of exist in isolation and then not really change anything. Like I really hope it's the start of something new and exciting. Yeah. Um, because it was just everything in the way that Diana's story was told and the way the Amazonian culture was depicted. Um, it's just really special. And yeah. I felt myself tearing up like on numerous occasions throughout the story just because I was like, wow, this, this is amazing. Like I came out feeling more confident in myself as a person because I had seen this amazing kick-ass compassionate woman. Like I'd seen her story. Yeah. And you know, I'm a grown woman, but for for young girls to have that is remarkable. So yeah, it's basically like a masterclass in how to depict your female hero, because yeah, like it's a very simple story in many ways, and it's quite a conventional story in many ways. But just the sheer fact that it's about a woman and you have this female eye on the story that does just completely transform the film and how it feels and how it comes across because like you never for a moment for example feel that diana has been objectified or treated as a sex object and unfortunately that's something that is just often taken for granted Mm -hmm. by male filmmakers that's just like an automatic part of their vocabulary whereas when it's done by a female director like patty jenkins that's not really so interesting for her it's more about actually a woman looking at a man so you have all these wonderful shots <laughs> of chris pine like when he's stark naked obviously you don't see it all because it's a film meant for all ages um but yeah she's clearly looking at a stark naked chris pine and that's all about like showing off his beautiful abs and his like hot body <laughs> and that is like wow this is new yeah and it's just a really nice feeling like and it's not just that it's pandering because it is just a really well-handled story with these great character beats and a nice build-up towards the climax. So I've seen a lot of criticism of the third act of Wonder Woman, and I agree that it has more problems than the rest of the film, but I still find it pretty strong, and I think it's like a good payoff for everything that's established earlier in the film, like about the whole conflict with the gods and all that kind of thing, you know? So it just felt really good to me right I don't think it's a perfect film and I don't think we need to pretend it is because that's not the point and there is this thing where female storytellers and directors are kind of held to a higher standard because it's like they supposedly represent all women and you know everything's hinging on them for the success like I can't imagine the pressure that Patty Jenkins felt so I'm really really happy for her that it has been a success um but yeah, it's unfair for people to have those expectations in the first place. Like that's not how it should be because as we'll get to in a second, there are plenty of mediocre male filmmakers out there. Um, <laughs> yes. And then, you know, they're not representative for their entire gender. Um, mm. Another thing that I really appreciated about the story and Patty Jenkins has talked about this in interviews is that they didn't shy away from giving Diana a romantic subplot. Yes. And you know, the, the whole story 
not to get too spoilery, but it's like, it's, you know, it's got that fairy tale element of being about love and compassion and the idea that a heroine doesn't have to be cold and emotionless to kick ass. Um, she cares about the world that she comes to know and understand. Um, mm -hmm. But I've got this quote here from Patty Jenkins. She says, I feel like one of the most ironically sexist things that happened to women heroes for so long was that they had universal storytelling taken away from them. So male superheroes could have Lois Lane. They can have love. They can have vulnerability. They can have complexity. But women superheroes or strong women characters had to be, I don't need anyone. I'm the toughest person in the world. That's not fair to anybody. No human being is an island like that. That is music to my ears. <laughs> yes. You know, like that is so so true. I love it. I love it. Obviously, it's all in the execution. But if you have a female protagonist, there's no reason that love, whether it's platonic or romantic or familial, can mm. you know it can be part of their story. It can enrich it. It can tell you something about the characters. So, yeah, I'm hoping that that's something that continues as well. That people see the story and because I know a lot of people are like oh before the the film came out and maybe even after. You know, not everyone will think of it the same way oh, I don't see why she needs to have a love interest. But it's not its not really about what she needs. Like, it's just whatever the storytellers want to say. Um, mm. And it's not something that, um, like, inhibits her in any way. It gives her strength, as real-life relationships do for people. Um, mm. So that was really great to see, too. Yeah. No, definitely. And... Yeah, like, I think Patty Jenkins is absolutely right. It's one of the most sexist things you can do like is to say that this character can't have a romance because she's a woman and if she has a love story then that automatically diminishes her so I think that in itself it takes um like male oriented filmmaking as a starting point because like I understand the fear that women have often been treated as love interests like Jane Foster in the four films for example and then they are just completely subservient to the man's story and they don't have like an arc of their own. They don't have like an independent presence. They just exist to be saved and to be a tool in this other person's journey. And I think that's a valid fear. But I don't think the fact that it's a valid fear means that it's the only way of doing these things. And I think it's so impressive that Wonder Woman has this romance. And it's all about showing how that relationship builds up each character. And how they support each other and make each other better like through that relationship, it doesn't take anything away from either of them. It strengthens them and it makes them better characters and more vivid and enticing characters to the audience because you really buy their love story by the end of it and you really care about them. And yeah, it's just so well done. Yeah, um, I'd love to see more storytelling like that. I agree. That's very good. Yeah, so then <laughs> I guess... The other side of the coin is that Colin Trevorrow's new film, The Book of Henry, has come out. And um, there's no nice way of putting it. It's getting trashed, basically. It's getting horrible, horrible reviews. Yeah. I've literally seen people comparing this movie to stuff like The Room and Birdemic. I'd like to think that that's an exaggeration, but I have had people, like, absolutely in the strongest terms assure me that that is not an exaggeration that that film is just an incredibly ill-conceived disaster and I don't want to dwell on it too much because I haven't seen it and I never feel like it's fair to like bash a film without having had that personal like experience of having watched it 
But at the same time, I think we have a right to be concerned about this. This is the thing. And obviously, neither of us has seen the film. So we're not going to be like, oh, we think it's garbage. That's not really Mm -hmm. the point. It's that there's this general concern, um, you know, through critics that we follow and respect. Like, we don't agree necessarily with everything they say all the time. But there's this pattern here, right? Um, Mm. um, So, yeah, it's a little concerning. Like, regular listeners of the show will know I've gone back and forth on how I feel about it. It tends to be kind of dictated by my overall mood at the time as to whether I'm feeling optimistic and or, like, kind of apathetic in that we don't really have any control. So it's, like, laissez-faire, let's see. Um, And also that we have The Last Jedi first. So jumping the Mm. gun to episode nine, really. Um, But, yeah, these reviews do kind of worry me. And I've I've said before, like I didn't, I thought Jurassic World was completely unremarkable. Like I saw it once because friends wanted to go and see it and I wasn't impressed. I just thought it was a standard action movie. Those Mm. kind of movies never really interest me that much. They're kind of flat, the characterizations, like boring and stereotypical. And it's just kind of action, which is fine for people who are into that sort of thing. But it's, it's not something that I'm super excited to like see the Star Wars version of that. Um, yeah safety not guaranteed we talked about last time and i think that is a better film um you have some concerns about the female character being kind of in that manic pixie dream girl trope yeah like only mildly though because i definitely think out of all his films safety guaranteed is the least worrying yeah (laughs) just like damning with faint praise like i enjoyed it but again i'm not going to pretend it's a masterpiece so and i mean i didn't even know about this film but you showed me it earlier and i was I don't even know what to say about it. It's so offensive. But there's this film that he made quite a long time ago now, to be fair. Um, It's a short film called Home Base. It's like eight minutes long. And the premise is basically this guy is dumped by this girl and then decides to enact revenge by having sex with her mum. Which I know sounds funny, but it's like funny in this car wreck way that I'm like, I can't believe what I'm watching. And I am I would be very surprised and I really hope this isn't the case. I'd be very surprised if Kathleen Kennedy has seen that film and is aware of it and then decided to choose Colin Trevorrow for episode nine because obviously we have Ray as a female lead and it's just it's bizarre to me. Like I was watching it and my jaw just kept dropping. It gets worse and worse, doesn't it? Yeah. What was like the lowest point in home base for you? Oh god, I don't even know. Like I guess the bit where he's telling her that it's not his fault that she'd never had an orgasm. Yes. <laughs> Cuz that is like that one of those part. classic things you see from these like clueless male characters where it's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um and I was trying to see like where they were going. I was trying to think the benefit of the doubt would be like at the end it's like obviously this male character is condemned and he's clearly treating the women involved this um woman and her mother like trash and he'll get his Mm. comeuppance but he's not it's like weirdly condoned by Colin Trevorrow like through the storytelling Mm. I I, I don't quite understand it because it's so transparent that this person's being a complete ass but I I don't know what's going on yeah no that was how I felt it was the kind of film where I just kept on watching it waiting and waiting for something to happen where this character would be punished for his awful behavior or where there would be like some outright condemnation of how awful and appalling his behavior is like because obviously the girl is like what's wrong with you what the hell are you doing like but that's almost played for laughs yeah it's like framed like, it's played as that like nagging woman kind of thing. yeah exactly it's played like we should almost be like finding her distress amusing 
but it's not amusing it's just really disturbing <laughs> and yeah like the last scene like which is obviously meant to be like ha 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 how hilarious i'd say it's just troubling it's like yeah that was actually really creepy as hell and yeah like and the thing is while it was a long time ago you see freds in home base that they're still coming up in jurassic world even because like there's dialogue in home base which trevorrow wrote as well as directing where he's saying things like, oh, you have a weird attitude towards kids and you're emotionally frigid. And those are themes, if you will, (laughs) that come up again in Jurassic World with Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Like she's like considered frigid. She has like the wrong, in air quotes, attitude towards children. Like, and I'd like to believe that Trevorrow has moved on from the awful, awful mindset on display in Homebase. But I just have doubts based on like how those themes still still seem to be coming up. Um, the way that these male characters seem to talk to the female characters, or at least perceive them, it's like, is this his self-insert that, I don't know, is, like you say, kind of conveying these troubling attitudes towards the idea that, oh, heaven forbid, a woman might not want to have children. Um mm. And regarding episode nine, I'm not like worried about literally seeing Ray running around in heels, which is <laughs> a big thing that like, you know, Jurassic World is criticized for. It just seems so unrealistic and silly. Yeah. But I don't know. Like the thing is, Colin Trevorrow comes across as so nice in interviews and I'm not being like, oh, he's nice, therefore can't be sexist. That's not, that's kind of naive to say, but um, he's very charming. And the way he talks about characters like Ray and Leia it kind of gives you this hope that, okay, they are going to treat these characters with reverence and like pay attention to them and, you know, give them full agency and interesting story arcs and everything. Mm. But I almost wonder if that's a form of damage control um, because he is aware that he's been criticized for his treatment of female characters. And I'm sure Lucasfilm are at this point. Um, So it's like, okay, well, I've, I've listened to quite a few of his interviews now and I haven't really heard him mention Finn. He only tends to mention Ray and obviously now, in the context of Carrie passing, they're talking a lot about how they'll deal with Leia in the film. But all this assurance that they're going to treat Ray so wonderfully, it's like, well, should I be afraid? Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, it's been kind of a fear of mine from the beginning. Like I've said it before on the podcast. Um, I love The Force Awakens because you really get this the beginning of this heroine's journey for Ray, but I can so easily see it going to the wayside. Um it's like it's been a fear that somehow the story won't end up being truly hers Um, and Mm. i'm talking about her side of the story obviously finn is the protagonist in his own story um i get and i'm a big fan of kylo as a character so it's not like oh i don't want to see more of him but some people are are actively concerned that he could become the main character um because he's the skywalker and um, if you look at The Force Awakens, the emotional climax is him killing his father and Ray is the observer who's known Han for like a day. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It, it it just kind of brings it home when you watch something like Wonder Woman and I understand everyone was very excited when we saw Ray in The Force Awakens and you see this heroine's journey unfolding, but um, it doesn't have the female gaze in quite the same way because we have all male directors, all male writers. I know we have Kathleen Kennedy and female members of the story group trying to guide the process, but uh, I guess it just remains to be seen. Yeah, no, definitely. It is frustrating because I think Wonder Woman shows how much incredible potential 
there is in getting women on board these projects and how much it can really enrich the films and like make the end product really exciting and creatively satisfying while also making big bucks at the box office. And I think there's just a sense of injustice in the fact that Patty Jenkins made Monster and won loads of Oscars for it and was highly acclaimed. And then for like the next 15 years, she couldn't really get another job. Mm. And then obviously she got Wonder Woman and now she's being rightly lauded and applauded as this highly influential figure in Hollywood, which is absolutely her right. But I think there's people are upset because it was such a struggle for Patty Jenkins. Yet Colin Trevorrow, who seems to have made some really quite bad films like home base <laughs> and yet nonetheless had this like sparkling career and was given all these opportunities to make these huge huge studio films and i think it's just a really bad look for kathleen kennedy and lucasfilm right now that they went down that path and i feel bad because i don't want to say colin Farrow should be fired or that colin Farrow can there's no hope of colin Farrow making a good film because i I do still think there's a good chance of episode nine being a good film. And I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of oversight and close collaboration to make sure it is not messed up because so much depends on episode nine being good. Um, But yeah, given like what is going on inside these films, like the whole theme of Ray's story and her being empowered as a young woman, it's ironic that, that theme isn't also being mirrored in the external conditions in which the film is being made. Because obviously Kathleen Kennedy is female, many members of the story group are female, but that's not the same as having female creatives in like the director's chair or in the writer's room. It's really important for people that that Ray is the main character. Yeah, and it's kind of, definitely. I don't know, I'm just kind of seeing this worrying apathy. Like, mm. I've spoken before about the way... Um, Finn has been kind of treated by Lucasfilm. Yeah. That there isn't this real understanding for why people might be upset that he was kind of used as a bait and switch in the marketing. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, representation is important to people. I don't know why that would be difficult for people to understand. So you have to treat mm. it with care. You have to understand why people are so emotionally invested in your story and not to like laugh at people for being invested in your story and developing theories and, you know, having hopes and dreams about where it could go. Like, yeah. because you want people to be invested in your story. It's important. Totally. Yeah, it's like, I love Ryan and Ryan has like barely set a foot wrong for me so far in terms of what I've seen from The Last Jedi and how he's conducted himself like in interviews and everything. But he did um like do a tweet, like basically like ridiculing the notion that people would think Finn was a Jedi because he held a lightsaber in The Force Awakens. I think he compared it to like Han using a lightsaber in The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I saw that. Mm. Which is, it's not the same thing, honestly. Yeah. Um, you had him holding it all through the marketing, which I get it, you wanted to hide Ray. Ha, oh, like, that's the surprise, shocking reveal. But it's like, if you keep doing these things for the sake of a shocking reveal, you're going to lose the trust of your audience. And mm. if you can't understand the difference between Finn and Han Solo... One of the actors is black. That makes a difference. Do we have to yeah. really spell this out that that would matter to people? Yeah. Like, come on. That matters to people. You have a black male lead for the first time. Mm. Why should we have to explain that that matters to people? Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting a bit ranty here, but it just makes me so angry sometimes. Yeah. 
I think perhaps they have like the like rather utopian idea that oh we're like gender blind oh, oh we're well colorblind. if that's it then we're yeah. really going to get into some <laughs> worrying areas um yeah I know that they did cast at Daisy and John colorblind they were those auditions were open to people of all colors but that doesn't mean that once you make the decision you then don't acknowledge why it would be important to people like yeah. or just clap yourself on the back for casting John Boyega but then not think about why that would actually matter to people why they would yeah. care about this character so much mm. I don't know ah. sorry people for the negativity <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry guys so at the same time it's good to vent and I do think it's good to talk about these concerns and these issues because so I think that with episode nine, I do think they're going to have to do something in relation to this reception to Book of Henry. This is not just like it's got mixed reviews. It's got terrible, terrible reviews calling it like an abomination, a crime against cinema. And is the kind of reception where Book of Henry may well end up getting lots of Razzies next year. And that would be mm. so intensely embarrassing <laughs> for Lucasfilm. Yeah. Um, if their director like unchallenged about any like change or alteration of things behind the scenes is in production on episode nine while he's also winning a bunch of Razzie awards at the next year's ceremony yeah is not good luck I think at the and- very least they're gonna have greater scrutiny like they might not might not acknowledge that this is what's going on but I think Kathleen Kennedy is gonna see this stuff happening and pay attention a bit more um, yes because we know like Rogue One they weren't happy with what Gareth Edwards gave them initially so that they you know spent a lot more money and had the reshoots um, mm. they're not going to just sit by while a film that they're not happy with gets put out exactly so yeah I do still think there's plenty of reason to be hopeful basically so don't freak out too much <laughs> uh, yeah I'm you know I'm really mixed on it like I said I've gone back and forth like it's not in our control but we can have opinions about it and Again, we haven't seen Book of Henry, so I'm not like, oh my god, roundly condemning this film. It's just when you see so many negative reviews coming out, it does give you pause of concern. And um, I don't know, I'm just, you know, Ray and Finn's stories are really important to me and for lots of other people. So yeah, no, definitely, it makes lots of sense to be concerned, and I think it's important to take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Um, right then, I think we can at last <laughs> move on to the news. Um, and the first item is that we have a t- new trailer for Battlefront 2 um, and it's a gameplay trailer so we get to see lots of stuff of Ray, and we also have a bunch of new information. Um, I know that you are much more clued into this than I was, Kirsty. so do you want to talk a bit about it? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. I only watched it. the trailer once. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited about it because, like, you see all of these new amazing locations. We have Naboo, particularly. They showed like a big clip of Ray uh, going around Theed. Um, we have all these characters like Goda and Moore fighting each other. You can have like heroes across the different eras fighting against each other. Obviously, it's not canon <laughs> that part of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Versio story story is canon, the story mode, but um, mm. all the rest of the stuff isn't. So it's kind of liberating in a way, I suppose. Um, I think people maybe held on to the idea of the original Battlefront being canon a bit too much. Like, how much? Yeah. How canon can a can a video game be, really? I don't know. Yeah, it's silly because there's lots of different paths you can take in stuff in a video game. That's the whole point. So it's not like it's a story-driven medium, really. It's an interactive medium, yeah. and that inherently means it's not fixed. Yeah. So I'm not a gamer, so I'm not speaking from a 
position of expertise, but I just thought it looked really beautiful. Um, mm. Yeah. Were you excited to see Ray and Kylo? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was cool to see them fighting again. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Next I'm going to watch mask. all the people playing it. Well, I wonder if they're actually going to show any of that because isn't that that's for the Last Jedi bit? Right? Yeah. Like, if you pre-order like, like a DLC or something. Yeah. Oh, speaking of DLC, they're going to have um, Finn and Phasma as well. I saw that. Yeah. I get the impression that's like a different pack from the one that will have Rey and Kylo in it. Mm. Um. So they're not all going to come out together. So it's going to be one pack with Rey and Kylo and then another pack with Finn and Phasma. Yeah. So I, I'm really happy about that because John Boyega is a Battlefront fan. Um, I saw on Twitter that he was asking if he could go and visit their headquarters in the UK. So that's really cool. Oh, uh, that's yeah, really sweet. It'd be so exciting, wouldn't it? Like if you're a fan of a game and then you're in it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know Oscar Isaac plays it as well. So I'm wondering if we'd eventually get Poe. Um, but yeah, I get, like having Finn and Phasma again kind of cements that they're going to be like a, you know, a conflict in The Last Jedi as well. Um yeah, so clearly yeah. can be one of the major twosomes. Yeah, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm getting more and more excited about the actual story of Battlefront with Aiden Versio. Like, she seems like a really cool character. I've watched some interviews with the actress who is super enthusiastic. She seems like a big Star Wars fan herself. Yes. I think I saw her getting all, like, emotional and tearing up about it, which is quite nice. Yeah, I just love it when you see people who, they recognise that this is important, like, for themselves and for fans, like, other fans as well, so. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it looks really cool. I like the looks of the trailer. Um, being completely honest, I probably won't play it because I don't have the equipment, basically. Um, but I think that it looks really fun, and I'm certain I will watch lots of Let's Play things. <laughs> right, so that'll be a good I'm way to experience well. it. I'll watch yeah. it. People play it. <laughs> exactly, joys of YouTube. <laughs> um, right, then the next story is that Janina Gavanka is to narrate the audiobook of Inferno Squad. And yes, yeah, so Janina is the actress who's playing Aiden Versio in Battlefront 2, or at least she's given her her voice. Um, and yeah, she's going to do the audiobook of Inferno Squad, which is the post-Rogue One novel that will focus on Aiden's character. Um, so yeah, just in case anyone doesn't know, this is the synopsis of Inferno Squad. After the humiliating theft of the Death Star plans and the resulting destruction of the battle station, the Empire is on the defensive. In response to this stunning defeat, the Imperial Navy has authorised the formation of an elite team of soldiers known as Inferno Squad. Their mission, infiltrate and eliminate the remnants of Saul Guerrero's partisans. Following the defeat of their leader, the partisans have carried out on his extremist legacy, determined to fraught the Empire, no matter what the cost. Now, Inferno Squad must prove their status as the best of the best and take down the partisans from within. But as the danger intensifies and the threat of discovery grows, how far will Inferno Squad go to ensure the safety of the Empire? Uh, so yeah, what do you think about Inferno Squad, Kirsty? Are you excited for it? I am. I'm more excited now than I was when we first heard about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I really loved Christy Golden's Dark Disciple. That's one of my favourite books in the new canon, but when I heard about what this book was actually going to be about, I was like, eh, it doesn't really sound like my sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm more excited about it now. We've heard that um, Janine is going to be um, narrating it mm-hmm. um, because I really like the idea of it being a bit more immersive when you get the actress's voice. I feel like that will connect more with the story of Battlefront. Yeah. Um, and when I read the Ahsoka novel, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should have got the audiobook because it's Ashley Eckstein narrating that. Yeah. Obviously the voice of Ahsoka. So it just feels a bit more cohesive and exciting yeah um 
so yeah, I think I'm more likely to listen to this one now. So I don't really listen to audiobooks usually, but it seems a cool idea to get the actresses involved. Yeah, no, definitely. I know that um, with the Ahsoka book, um, people found that the audiobook having Ashley Eckstein on it, it really enhanced the experience for them, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah, so I think I'm more likely to read it now. Yeah, I must say, like being completely honest, I'm probably not going to read it, but like it, it does sound really cool. Um, and I totally get why you're excited, but um, yeah, it still doesn't do much for me. And <laughs> I, I'm always in that position where I'm very, very picky at the best of times as to what I read in terms of Star Wars. I think the only full-length novel I've read so far is Bloodline, which I know is really shameful, and I really want to read some of the others. Like, I have lost stars, and I fully intend to read it. It's just one of those things that keeps getting put back for another day and another day. If that makes. Are sense. you going to read the new Leia book by Claudia Gray? Yes. I will. That's definitely yeah. one I'll prioritise. And because it's YA, it's not like there's like much of an excuse to not to read it. This is not like it's going to be War and Peace. I expect it's going to be on the shorter side. So uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, no, I really love Claudia's style from Bloodline, so I'm really excited to see what she does next. Mm-hmm. Um, right then, the next story is that D23 is to feature news about a galaxy of stories, Star Wars Land, Disneyland. Right, and this is from Jeffrey Epstein of the Disney Parks blog. In just a few short weeks, guests can catch a glimpse of the locations, starships, creatures and droids that will populate this remote village on the Outer Rim and experience the world premiere of a detailed model showcasing the immersive 14-acre lands coming to Disney Parks in 2019. There will be plenty of artwork and media on display to show guests the creative process behind bringing the Star Wars galaxy to life. That sounds very, very exciting. That yeah. actually really makes me want to go to, um, like, do you know which Disney park in particular this is a little bit? This is happening at Set Disneyland in Anaheim, California. Ah, okay, yeah. Well, that really makes me want to go to California then. <laughs> yeah, I think this is what people are thinking. That kind of like the main reason why people are expecting Anaheim to be the location for the next Star Wars celebration because yeah. that would be in 2019 and they would have just opened the park. Um, so yeah, I've only been to Disneyland once. Uh, but I would be so much more likely to go back once they have Star Wars Land there because oh, yeah. it's not Star Wars Land, it's called Galaxy of Stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I can't see that lasting. That's going to die a death. Like Everyone's going to call it Star Wars story. Land anyway. Yeah. Right? Like like Tomorrowland and all that. Yeah. This it's like no one it. calls Rogue One, Rogue One colon a Star Wars <laughs> People just <laughs> So, yeah, just give up, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, it sounds really cool, and I like the concept of them having like this new place in the Star Wars galaxy, where it's going to be like new but yet familiar. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's trying to be like Naboo or something, like a place that we know, and they'd have to be really, really strict in adhering to like canon and like how it's depicted elsewhere. It gives them a lot of creative license, I think, to just use their imaginations and put in loads of really cool stuff. So Yeah, because yeah, it's nice to think about the fact that the galaxy's got to be this big place, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are still so many planets and cultures that we haven't seen in the movies or any of the other material. Yeah. So why not go for something new? It can be a form of storytelling in its own right. Totally. Yeah, no, it unlocks lots of potential, which is really exciting. And then... We have a story on the Star Wars Adventures comics. Um, And there's basically been a piece published where you get a first look at the covers. So the main covers and then the variant covers. And also a bit of insight into the kind of storylines we can expect. Um, Would you like to read it out, Kirsty? 
Sure. So this is from Comic Book Resources, I think. Um, says Star Wars Adventures One is scheduled for release on September sixth. Written by Kevin Scott, a veteran of multiple Doctor Who stories for Titan Comics, and illustrated by Eisner-nominated IDW mainstay Derek Charm, who illustrated the main promotional art release when the series was announced. Issue two is from the same team and expected two weeks later on September twentieth. Both issues are set to tell tales of Ray's early days on Jakku including a story in issue two, co-starring Uncarplet, who famously offered Ray merely one quarter portion in Star Wars The Force <laughs> Awakens. Additionally, one will include a comical tale of clone catastrophe. They will be original stories primarily, IDW president and chief operating officer Greg Goldstein told CBR in an interview about the strategy behind Star Wars Adventures. They will be set in the entire Star Wars combined universe. They can be the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, the modern films, some of the offshoots that are still considered part of the canon. I'm excited for these comics. Yeah, I think they look really, really cute. And I think it's a fun way of telling stories without, I don't know, having the same kind of pressures that like the mainstream like comics, if that's what you want to call them, have. It's like stuff like um, the main Star Wars line in Marvel. I think something like that, it has this like air of respectability to it almost. Where it's like, oh, we're continuing the story of the films. This is all canon. Whereas this like I, I do think it like is it going to be canon or is it like I a... think it is but mm. in a way that I mean it's it's Ray's early days on Jakku which won't really influence as far as I'm understanding it they won't influence the main films so, yeah they're probably gonna be very um, careful and giving them a sandbox that doesn't really cross over much with um the important story stuff yeah so these are more geared towards children which is always something I'm interested in seeing because obviously Star Wars is fundamentally for children. Yes. Um, so it's kind of nice to see it go back to basics and, you know, actually have content that's marketed primarily for that demographic. Yeah. Um, and it would be cool to see what Ray's relationship with Uncar Plot was like before the film. Yes. Because at the end of the day, she was raised kind of, I mean, I don't want to say he was like her guardian or anything, because obviously he didn't treat her very nicely, but mm. he was kind of an adult figure, for better or worse, who was there. Yeah. Um, he's basically yeah, I, like the owner of the orphanage from Anastasia. He's like right, he's, her guardian, but he's really, really bad at it. <laughs> yeah, it's like that Dickensian kind of authority figure, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I think I read somewhere that the premise of that one could be that he, I don't know, like he's in danger or something, and Ray saves him. Mm. Um, so that'd be interesting to see. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, no, they look really cute to me, and I really like the um, cover illustrations. Like, I like how bright and colourful and cheerful they are, um, and the artistic style is really cool. Um, in some of the cases, they remind me of those um, like manga style adaptions of the films. Yeah, um, like yeah. Um, it's a bit more cartoonish than the Marvel ones. Exactly, yeah, which I really think works better because if you think about the Force Awakens Marvel comic book adaption, that was really bad and part of the badness was that it tried to be like photorealistic, like in air quotes, um, depictions of the characters and it just wasn't pulled off well. So I think it... Yeah, the regular Marvel comics aren't like that. For some reason, Mm -hmm. the TFA adaptation was just bad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it looked like it was done like using a tracing method or something like they looked mm. took screen caps and literally traced around them yeah the, the other marvel comics tend to be better <laughs> yeah no definitely um i also like the cover with unkar trace chasing ray um yeah i think unkar is like a gift to comic book artists who looks really <laughs> fun to draw 
Yeah. It kind of has that video game feel. Yes, definitely. It's cute. It's cute. I would love a video game done in this kind of style. That'd be awesome. <laughs> right. And then we can move on to spoilers. I shouldn't. Do it. Right. And I think it's quite mild spoiler stuff this time around, to be honest. None of it's that like intense or heavy. It's all going to be like stuff that's covered in promo phases. So I don't think it's a particularly scary spoiler section, but it is spoilers nonetheless. So the first story, um, there's been very there have been various image leaks, um, including a drawing from making Star Wars of Snoke's Praetorian Guard, or one of them at least, because apparently they all have their own little costumes and stuff. Um, and then we've had separate leaks which actually show like official publicity images um, of various different characters, so Ray and Kylo and Finn and Rose and so on and so forth, as well as people like the Executioner Stormtrooper and stuff. Um, so yeah, there's been lots of stuff to come out in terms of imagery. Um, it's all very, very tiny. Like I'll say the images are about the size of postage stamps. <laughs> so we really can't discern that much detail, but it's still really cool to see this kind of stuff. Um, did you have any big takeaways from it, Kirsty? Um, just kind of the general consensus that they looked very similar to the Emperor's Royal Guards. Mm-hmm. Um obviously in that striking red. Yes. Um, hopefully they would play more of an active role. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it kind of reminds me of the whole Knights of Ren thing from The Force Awakens, where it's like, oh, wow, these cool characters, are the, you know, they've all got these individual designs. Yeah. But they actually play a very small part in the narrative. Yes. Um, so I guess we'll see. I mean, people mean a huge deal out of Captain Phasma before The Force Awakens, right? So yeah. You also had uh, Constable Zuvio. <laughs> Everyone's favourite, famous fave. (laughs) Yeah, he's my fave character from The Force Awakens. Um, (laughs) Iconic. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm not really a costume expert. I feel like I'm saying this a lot. I'm not an expert, so I can't really comment on this too much. But the the designs look cool to me. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a case of how much of a role they'll play in the actual story, like whether they stay with Snoke or if they're off with Kylo doing something. We don't really know for sure yet. So I find the like it's tiny tiny images of like the main human characters the most interesting parts mm. like um i am so enticed by that tiny 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 photo of kylo <laughs> i want to see it big i have you seen... said mm-hmm. that you thought he looked like he was with one of the evil bb8 characters or something if, if you look at the bottom of his cloak then you see like a little round thing which i mm. think is like the head of one of them but like I say, it really could be anything. It's like a Rorschach test, you know, because it's so tiny and you could basically project onto it whatever you wanted to see. But I do also wonder if it's the same image of Kylo from Battlefront. He seems to have the same, like, looking back over his shoulder pose. Like, it's either that image or a very close image to it. But yeah, the one I'm more excited about seeing is the Kelly Marie Tran one. I really yes. want to see a photo- poster of Rose. Mm. Um, and I can't wait for her to be promoted more. I'm really hoping in, in the second trailer they'll have more hints as to what her character will be like. Yeah. No, so they need to at the very least show her because, yeah, she we haven't very little on her right now because she wasn't even in the trailer. Um, yeah, I guess the general audience will be aware of Vanity Fair and will have seen her on the cover, but they won't necessarily know 
much about her unless they read the article exactly. which is kind of just the same stuff that was reiterated at celebration like yeah she's going to be in Finn's story and she's playing a maintenance worker but that's about it for now yeah I, I also find the um, configurations of the characters reasonably interesting because you obviously have Ray with Kylo then you have Finn with Rose Poe with BB-8 R2-D2 with Chewbacca and then two random stormtroopers together, which is less interesting. But yeah, for like the main characters, it very much seems to be that they're positioned with each other on the basis of who's going to be important to their sto- stories in the film, if that makes sense. It doesn't seem arbitrary. Well, uh, it just seems based on everything else that we've been hearing, right? Yeah. Like, this doesn't surprise me at all. It seems to be kind of what they were gearing up for. Yeah, with, yeah. Um, like I said, Finn and, Finn and Rose paired off on one side of the story and then Ray and Kylo and... We don't see Luke here, but I, maybe he would be with Leia. I don't know. Like, it's not necessarily the characters that we're spending the most screen time with, just kind of where thematically they might make sense. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, nothing, like, huge in terms of revelations, but it's still nice to see. And, yeah, like, everything will change if we get these in decent quality. Because I remember when those pictures from Battlefront came out for the first time, they were tiny. Mm. Um, but then when we saw them big, it was like, ooh, nice. Yeah, we also have a better picture of the the gorilla walkers that making Star Wars were calling them for a while. Mm-hmm. So they're an adapted form of the AT-ATs. Um, yeah, I, like just kind of another version of that for me. Until yeah. we see them in action, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like I can't get too excited about the AT-ATs. I know other people will be super excited about this stuff. Like this is their jam. So yeah. that's, that's great for them. But this is the kind of thing that I'm like, oh, well, if... I don't know. Like it just calls to mind something like Hoff, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, not too interested in seeing a rehash of Empire Strikes Back. And Ryan's been very emphatic that that's not what he's doing. So I'm interested to see how it will differ from that. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess it's just people have reason to be a bit suspicious when he says, "Oh no, no, it's not Empire Strikes Back. It's not Empire Strikes Back." But then there's the AT-ATs in the snow, and I, obviously, I know it's not snow, but it's like a white landscape and like the Praetorian Guard looking very much like the Emperor's Guards and stuff. I expect what he's doing is he's using these like familiar visuals, like, hopefully like in a way to subvert them. There's, right, there's and... all these expectations associated. Yeah, and as you said, these aren't substantial spoilers like for the plot. So it could be that we're getting these visual clues to kind of lead us in one direction, expecting the narrative to be the same when actually it's very different. Yeah. And this is almost like a cloak and dagger kind of thing. Yeah. Which, in a way, I'd find quite enti- exciting. Yeah. Like, and I hope that is what they go- they're going for, because that seems much more like thrilling to me. It's like, ah, yeah. you got us. I like Yeah, you. I would so love to be surprised. <laughs> yes, exactly. I want to be surprised. And I really think we are going to be, because, to be honest, in terms of spoilers, I, I'm really starting to think the well is dry. Yeah. You know, I don't see us getting anything hugely substantial. This whole thing has felt very similar to the process with Rogue One in terms of the type of information that's been coming out and when we get it Um, and with Rogue One for the last few months leading up to the film there was hardly any information coming out that wasn't officially sanctioned information right it's just enough to keep people talking obviously Mm -hmm. that's what we're doing yes Um, but but yeah I don't want the whole story spoiled for me even I I'm a spoiler hound and people will be like oh you sound like a hypocrite but it's like I'll read what's there but I kind of hope it's not there <laughs> yeah sure um, because I do, I do want to walk into the cinema kind of with that feeling I had well The Force Awakens I had absolutely nothing I didn't even know that Kylo was Han's kid so I was like completely in the dark and like a lot of fans but um 
it would be kind of nice to not have the big plot points so that we are kind of experiencing it firsthand. Yes. Because it, it must change how you view the story. Yeah, it definitely did for me. <laughs> I'd like to venture <laughs> into the parallel universe where I knew nothing about Force Awakens going into it, but it's much Aww. too late for that. <laughs> it's fine. I, I went into it with my eyes open. It wasn't accidentally spoiled. I think that's the worst thing. Like, if you don't want to be spoiled, but some yeah. asshole, like, drops a huge spoiler in, like, YouTube comments or something. Yeah. That, that's I'm... really bad. I think for the last week before The Last Jedi, I'm going to have to just say, no, I'm not going on the internet. <laughs> Bye-bye, Tumblr. <laughs> that will be something. Yeah. yeah. You're inevitably going to get spoiled. So. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be sad. Um, right. Then the next story is that we have a concept art of the sea monster on Act 2. And this beastie has been previously discussed by... Um, making Star Wars. I think they were the first ones to report on it. And there's also um, photos from the set showing like pieces of this monster, like its head, on the um, rocks um, mm. in Ireland. Um, so yeah, like it's quite cool to see the visual representation, which is from Star Wars Newsnet, um, and get a better sense for it. Um, it looks very creepy to me. Oh, I think it looks cute. Really? I think that head, like, gives me nightmares. Like, like the little tendrils coming out of the mouth. I mean, it's kind of in a creepy way. Mm. But I don't know. I, I like a lot of creatures from films that are, like, kind of verging on the spooky side of things. Mm. Do you know and the prob- Ood from Doctor Who? Yeah. It reminds it me of that. Of. Yeah. I like them, too. <laughs> I mean, I know they're creepy. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it often has interesting implications for the narrative, especially for characters who are like assume that something can't be trusted or needs to be defeated in some way at first. And then actually it has a more compassionate nature. Yeah. No, I'm making think- all kinds of assumptions here. We don't have any details beyond kind of what making Star Wars have hinted at that Rey is supposed to fight the creature mm. um, but it could be that she's actually supposed to overcome it with compassion or kind of train it in some way or mm-hmm. that'd be very Wonder Woman I'd approve of that yeah it's kind of classic fairy tale isn't it that something seems like it needs to be defeated as in killed mm. but actually it's about the hero overcoming something inside themselves so yeah no, that'd be really cool um, and yeah the backdrop to that looks very much like the Curry Cliffs Yes, very. It looks nice. very stunning. I mean, because it, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering from this again. It's just a picture of like kind of the artist's impression, so we don't know how accurate it is to the story. But I do wonder if at this point Ray would be going into the water or something. Because mm-hmm. when we saw those pictures from the set, that it really was like right on the edge of the cliff, right? That that big big piece of padding that presumably yeah. was supposed to be the creature. Yeah, I so. definitely think Ray is going into the water at least once. Mm. Like. I'm not going to speculate as to the circumstances. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is going to be a thing, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it seems kind of strange to have something set on an island with, you know, like there's such an emphasis on the choppy water and the dangerous weather and everything. And then yeah. you have this character from the desert. It almost seems like it's a classic storytelling trope to have her have some kind of issue with the water. Yeah, exactly. Because Ryan's gone on a lot about how the characters would be tested and how they're going to face, like, central challenges and while i'm sure there's going to be more like abstract philosophical um challenges that they have to face i also expect there's going to be some very like concrete ones and for ray something like having to swim when she grew up on a sand planet would be a very good challenge to give her yeah i mean you have a lot of symbolism in things like well water but also just generally like the natural elements right yeah water can symbolize rebirth and danger and you know 
the idea of like drowning in something, being overwhelmed by fear and stuff like that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, right. And the end. The last spoiler story that we have is that we have a list of new products and these are all in code again. <laughs> so be prepared for fun. <laughs> um, and this is the product list and is via Star Wars Newsnet. Black Series Foxtrot 1 Grey. Class A Creature and Droid Assortie. I'm <laughs> guessing that's short for assortment. <laughs> cool Beta Grey. CM Tango White. CM Beta 2 Black, CM Victor 1. Wait, aren't these... Wouldn't that be 30 centimetres? Isn't that what that means? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I would that did see... not cross my mind. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, that's just literally occurring to me now as I'm reading it. I'm like, maybe that's supposed to be like together as one thing, like the height mm. of the figure. Yes. No, that would make sense. I, I think they have like a line of... Um, figures that are 30 centimeters right so yeah they're probably that's probably what those are um so yeah 30 cm beta 2 black 30 cm victor 1 ip deluxe delta 1 spinning lightsaber that gives me traumatic rebels flashbacks i think that's what it will be i mean i know it says episode 8 but i'd be very surprised if that's actually supposed to be part of the story <laughs> please no <laughs> i i don't think that should be part of but Ryan's bold directorial, directorial choices. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Black Series Helm. Choose your path lightsaber. Projectile firing lightsaber. I do not want. Do not want. Please, God, just be for children. Please. Yeah. Oh, man. What do you get from this, Kirsty? <laughs> I mean, we, we thought before that Foxtrot was going to be Ray, right? So if she's yeah. got the the grey outfit that kind of makes sense right we've had the the t but there's two different ones that she's wearing in the last jedi it looks like so mm. um i don't know if you'd count the cape as a separate outfit or if it's just kind of covering her one from the end of the force awakens mm. um oh they'll find ways to merchandise the hell out of that oh probably yeah i'm sure there will be like funko with cape without cape <laughs> much more monies so the Beta one, it seems like Star Wars Newsnet are kind of undecided as to whether that could be Luke or Finn. Mm. Um, I've seen most people say they think it's Finn. Um, but um, it's. Because I guess we're going to get him in his first order of costume as well, right? So Yeah. And I also think it's possible that we're not going to get Luke as part of the first wave, that Luke will come later, because That's Han Solo point. wasn't part of the first wave. So I think there's a good chance that none of these codenames relate to Luke. Although then again, it seems pretty clear that Victor is Snoke at this stage. So it's interesting that Snoke would be part of the first wave, but not Luke. Hmm. Maybe they know people yeah, are really we'll thirsty for that Snoke merchandise. <laughs> I'm not, but... <laughs> mm, Snooky Snoke. <laughs> um... Yeah, like, my main takeaway from these, like, freaking coded lists is I just want these things to freaking come out. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you feel silly trying to decode it because it's like, well, it's only September 1st. So, what, two and a half months? We can wait. Mm. Um, yeah, and I won't be buying all the toys. It's just kind of a cool way to look at them and kind of get a preview for the the movie itself. Yeah, you don't want to um, get the whatever the Constable Zuvio equivalent of The Last Jedi is. Because <laughs> we know that's coming. 
Yeah. Like I've, I've said before, like I've never bought merchandise for a movie that I haven't seen yet before. <laughs> yes. But I, I think I'm inevitably going to do it this time. But these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, it's characters that we are already familiar with. So um, I'm sure some people were disappointed if they'd got really excited about Phasma and bought toys for her. But The Force Awakens, thinking she was going to be a major player, mm. and she wasn't. But obviously, Ray, Kylo, Luke, Finn, we know they're going to be important. Uh, oh no, so. Kylo just has like a one minute cameo, and then that's. <laughs> I'm sure some people would like that. <laughs> I'm sure. Fortunately, uh, yeah. I do not think that's the case. <laughs> And yeah, Star Wars Newsnet said as well that they thought the spinning stuff and the choose your path lightsaber was going to be like... The projectile stuff. lightsaber as well, I hope. Yeah, like Rebels type stuff or just like purely kids toys, like not actually anything from the story itself. So. Yeah, it's from The Force Awakens they had the whole line of build your own lightsaber. And that doesn't mean there's like a sequence in Force Awakens where we see a character build their own lightsaber. So um, right. I think we're good. <laughs> hmm um, right, and then in addition to that main toy list, there's also some stuff on Lego sets, which is potentially more interesting. Um, and so the things in the list that aren't question mark, question mark, question mark are mm-hmm. Kylo Ren's TIE Fighter, BB-8, Resistance Bomber, First Order Heavy Assault Walker, First Order Star Destroyer, and then there's a bit of elaboration. The bomber comes with Poe Dameron, Paige Tico, and Admiral Holdo, the Heavy Assault Walker comes with a different version of Poe Dameron and Rey. And the Star Destroyer comes with Snoke and BB-9E. Luke and Kylo Ren are said to come with Kylo Ren's TIE Fighter, along with, presumably, the Praetorian Guards and possibly a few others. So yeah, like the main takeaway from that is... So Luke and Kylo are packaged together in a set with Kylo's TIE Fighter, which is very interesting. Um, And yeah, like we... It's not a massive surprise that those characters are going to be interacting because we obviously have the many, many spoilers from Ireland <laughs> indicating that. Um, But it's quite exciting to see that come through in toys. And actually seeing this, it makes me think that there's no way they're going to keep Kylo going to Act 2 secret. You know, because if these toys are due to come out in September as part of the first wave, which I expect they are, if product information is getting out already, then that means we're going to have like a toy Lego set where it's Kylo's TIE Fighter, presumably on Act 2. Um, with like Luke there and going like you, you naughty naughty boy, come here so I can punish you. Um, I would honestly think that in the marketing at some point they're going to have to have that as one of the hooks because mm. you have to have some kind of conflict. And so far we don't really. Mm. Um, you know the teaser is just kind of laying things out right at the beginning of the film, presumably. Yeah. Um, the teaser but... just raised training. Yeah, to to care about the story, you're going to have to have the conflict, which will be in that side of the story anyway. It's Kylo coming to Rock 2 in pursuit of Luke and Rey. So mm-hmm. they're going to have to hint at that. I don't know how much they would reveal, but mm-hmm. doesn't yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. I'm just excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, the fact that it's a thing is obviously going to have to come out. So it's not like they even tried to hide Adam when they were getting him to Ireland. Like, he was very much there and it was clear and he was his photo at the airport was published widely across the international press. Exactly. I mean, it it was foreshadowed in The Force Awakens that he like he saw the island in Ray's mind. So it kind mm. of sets up the fact that he's going to find her there again. Uh, but it doesn't. We still don't have any implications for what the actual story will be there beyond just like hearing that they'll have a duel, which again isn't such a surprise. So it's kind of the the important parts are kind of blurred for now. Yes. Um, 
So that's the way they want it, presumably. Exactly. Like they want they want to give you a taste so that you're intrigued. But mm. um, I think the key from all this is that we desperately need more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, please, please save us. <laughs> Not long now. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. And we'll get there in the end. And I'm still taking like absurdly disproportionate satisfaction from merely seeing the poster for The Last Jedi in phases. Have you seen it at all in cinemas? I haven't. I mean, I have oh, it hanging so in my house, but oh, uh, nice. yeah, I haven't seen it in cinemas yet. Yeah, it's a real thrill. Like, I freaked out my friends so much the first time I saw it in my little Clodian <laughs> that she's like, I'm not with you. <laughs> I don't think she even meant it in like the sense of a joke. I think she was being quite sincere. I'm not with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then like I got her to take my picture with it. <laughs> and she was like, Rachel, this is too much. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just really <laughs> love Star Wars, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's great to be so excited. Yeah, no, it, it's something simple that brings me joy. And I don't think that can be a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Right. I think on that note, we will leave it here. Um, but yeah, we hope you have enjoyed the show. Um, if you want to send any questions, and we will try and get to questions next time. I'm sorry. I know it's been a while. <laughs> um, we've just been very busy and there's always been lots to catch up with. But next time, we'll hopefully be more back to the usual routine. So yeah, if you have questions, please send them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. And you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastilla Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And until next time, bye! Bye!